Politics have completely consumed our society and culture. And I'm not just talking about politics two weeks before a presidential election, but it seems like no matter the time or day or what's going on in the world, politics reign supreme. When Father John was here, he used to like to watch the TV in the evening and he watched TV news and I didn't really watch it. But every time I would walk in there, it seemed like people were yelling at each other, disagreeing. Other people were the problem. They were the, way, they were the ones in, that were prohibiting, inhibiting a solution. There was always fighting going on. And it gets worse and it ramps up in election season. But politics has seemingly taken over every aspect of our life. It seems that we are always trying and engaging in practices to either gain, gain or maintain power and authority, dominion, wealth, honor, privilege, power, wealth, all of those things. It's politics, politics, politics. So invasive has it become that even our politics inform how we approach our faith. If the teachings of the church conform with my political ideology, I will believe them and I will stand up for them. But if they don't, I will either ignore them or reject those teachings. If I were to stand up here and speak on any issue, name the hot-button issues, abortion, sexual morality, immigration, racism, for most people, if that accords with your political beliefs, you'd be like, yeah, Father, go. But if it doesn't, uh-uh, don't bring that into the church, Father. Don't bring those politics in here. We get so worked up and we get so focused on our politics that even the truth becomes subject to it. This is not how we are created. This is not what the Lord desires for us. We see that even through enemies, God's will is done. We can think that unless my candidate or my party wins, all is lost. That is a lie. Should we participate? Absolutely. But if we look to the first reading, the prophet Isaiah says about Cyrus, the Persian pagan king who was striving to conquer the promised land. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. That word in Hebrew is Mashiach. Who is the Messiah? The anointed one, but Jesus Christ. So even in the Old Testament, we see how God's will is done through the thing that you wouldn't think would be possible, through the enemy even, because God's will is God's will. It will be done. And we can get so worked up in thinking that it has to be a certain way that we can lose sight of how God is working in our lives and in our hearts. And what ends up happening, brothers and sisters, as a result of this, is greater injustice grows within our culture, within our own hearts. When St. Thomas Aquinas talks about the virtue of justice, he talks about justice, well, justice definitionally, is to do for others, or to give to others what is their due as, an, as another. Right? So St. Thomas talks about commutative justice, distributive justice, all of those different ways in which we are to give to each other, each other's due. He says things that would be, to our political minds, even controversial or scandalous, perhaps. 
He says, when he's talking about justice, right, that if a poor person needs something and has true need of it, food, water, clothing, shelter, and you have it, what you have actually belongs to that poor person. This is not political. This is justice. At the same time, when St. Thomas talks about justice, he also says that the virtue of religion falls under justice. Because the virtue of religion is to give to God what is his due. And here's the rub, and here's the challenge for us. When we don't do justice to God by right worship, by following the truth, by conforming every aspect of our life to his truth, to the teachings of the church, we are unjust toward God. And as a result of that, the justice that we desire to bring into the world is going to be, at best, imperfect. When Jesus is given the coin, he says, whose image and whose inscription is on this coin? And they say, Caesar. And on that coin is the image of probably the emperor Tiberius, and on there it would have said something along the lines that he is the son of God or a God which is nonsense, which is not true, which is idolatrous. And yet God, and that Jesus, who is God, says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He has marked this coin. These are passing things. But give to God what belongs to God. And upon whom is God's image? And in whose heart and soul is the very name of God written? You and me. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We have been claimed in the waters of baptism as his beloved sons and daughters. The response to Caesar to the world is to give what is its due. The response to God is to give everything. And when we give everything to God, our relationship with the world, our building up of justice and the common good is enhanced and made perfect through God. Our life is given to him. St. Paul says in the second reading from the first letter to the Thessalonians, knowing brothers and sisters that you are loved by God, how you are chosen. God made you in his image and likeness. He chose you for himself. Give him everything if you desire to make this world a better place. We are called to be totally conformed to the one whose image we bear. In all of creation, everything pales in comparison to you. Think about that for the moment. All of the money in the world, all of physical creation does not add up to your value and to the value of one person. And when we give our hearts and minds and lives and souls, when we conform our will to the will of God, then everything else follows after. But when we hold things back, when we go to God through worldly things, when we put our power, pleasure, honor, and wealth ahead of our gift of self to God, injustice reigns. The world corrupts us. But there is always a response. There is always the love of God who overcomes the bounds and the fights and the challenges of this world. 
when the uh, Pharisees and the Herodians go to Jesus, let's remember, these are extraordinarily strange bedfellows. Why is that? The Pharisees hated the Romans. The Herodians loved them. It would be like if two radical people on either side of the political spectrum, on the farthest extremes, came to Jesus. And no matter what he said, they were going to fight him. They were going to reject him. They were going to renounce him. And Jesus shows that it's not about winning political or theological debates. It's about winning the lost sheep and inviting them back to life in the Father's house. This is what life is all about. This is what our discipleship of Jesus should be, to follow him so that we can be with him in the Father's house. Yes, we must participate in the political world order because we are members of a society and we desire to make it a just society. We must form our consciences according to the clear teachings of Christ and his church. The U.S. bishops have a wonderful document, Faithful Citizenship, on this. I've been putting the one-page summary in the bulletin. It's also available on the U.S. bishops' website. But ultimately, all of this is a secondary thing to the gift, the total gift of self to God. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. Caesar can take a coin. The world can take but a little bit. God desires, but not only desires, he offers everything in return.